This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to Radio Parallax 2017. Yes, we've taken a bit of a break. For the past few months, I've been able to indulge my hobby of totem pole carving. While Mr. McMillan has finally been able to secure that piece of bottom land he's been looking for for so many years and sitting back to grow daffodils. Actually, we have put our time off to good use, I think, in doing some reading we should have done perhaps years ago to bring us up to speed on a few issues, tech issues and such. We expect in the future to bring you, if it's at all possible, genius author Tim Wu, whose book Attention Merchants led to my reading the book The Master Switch, which led to my reading Who Controls the Internet. All three are wonderful volumes, and we hope to bring on Mr. Wu to discuss them. Now, since we were last on the air, I believe it was October 27th, a few things have happened. There was, for example, a national election, or at least as Mr. Miller points out, it was, it was billed as a national election. In fact, you have some appropriate music to play for this. Yeah, there were some Russian overtones, I think, to our national election. I think we're going to postpone discussing that. We have a way we'd like to start the program, and I think we're going to we're going to stick to that. Before we go too far, we should note that as we are recording, um, there's a crisis going on in the area between where we expect to be heard, which is on KZFR in Chico and KDVS in Davis. In case you hadn't noticed, the tallest dam in the United States, Oroville Dam, 770 feet in height, um, is in danger of having a catastrophic loss of water from its emergency spillway. This led to the evacuation of almost 200,000 people from Northern California cities downstream, and we will have a thing or two to say about that. We will be giving an attaboy to... um, Science writer Paul Rogers, whose piece for BayAreaNewsGroup.com notes that federal and state officials ignored warnings raised a decade ago about risks of the spillway at Oroville Dam. More on that later. And, oh yeah, when it comes to this little election that that took place uh, a few months back, we would note that on this program we have been sounding the alarm for years, I think a decade and a half at this point, about the possibility of our national elections being compromised. In fact, we've taken the position that several have been compromised prior to 2016, and it looks to us as though we now have one more. But again, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's instead start the program as we like to do. Well, actually, we're not going to go with On This Date in History. We're debating retiring that feature on the program. We'll see. Let's just go to a quote instead. How about this one from H.L. Mencken, which is, If experience teaches us anything at all, it teaches us this, that a good politician under democracy is quite as unthinkable as an honest burglar. I think we'll lighten the mood slightly with another quote from 
in this case, Frank Sinatra, <laughs> once said, those who have talent must hug it, embrace it, nurture it, and share it, lest it be taken away from you as fast as it was loaned to you. Words of wisdom. For our quip of the day, we'll go with General George S. Patton, who once said, if everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. And you know, we probably need a joke of the day more than ever, so let's go with this one. A man was walking down the street in Chinatown in San Francisco and went into a uh, rather dilapidated, dusty, old store tucked away in an alley. He rummaged around in the back for a while and came forward to the checkout with a brass rat. The Chinese proprietor looked at him and said, Would you like to know the story that goes with that piece? Not really, said the man. How much is it? The proprietor said it'll be $100. Guy slapped a $100 bill down on the counter and walked out with the rat. Now, as he strolled down the financial district in San Francisco, he observed something funny. Out of one of the alleys came a rat, then another, then another. He continued walking down toward the Embarcadero, and as he got closer and closer, rats started streaming out of alleyways. He soon had dozens of them following him. As he got down to the shore of the bay, he realized that he was surrounded by all these rats and figured what he was carrying must be to blame. So he heaved the brass rat out into the bay. And wouldn't you know it, the hundred or a couple hundred rats jumped in the bay after it and soon drowned. The bay was soon awash with floating rodent corpses. The man then strolled back up the street and went back to this shop in Chinatown. As he walked in, the proprietor looked at him and said, Ah, you have come back for the story. Nope, said the man. I just want to know whether you've got a brass Republican. And for this week's anecdote, I think we'll go with this from the, you know, Misery Loves Company file, perhaps. About the time we held a national election here last November, they had one down in Nicaragua. And wouldn't you know it, former Marxist guerrilla Daniel Ortega won a third term as president in a landslide victory after the opposition boycotted the national vote, calling it an electoral farce. Now, it is true that electoral and judicial officials down there loyal to Ortega had barred opposition leaders from running, and they also shuttered opposition media outlets. And while he was at it, he decided to make his wife, Rosario Murillo, his new vice president. It's also noted that the couple's sons and daughters occupy key roles in the country's business, media, and security sectors. And since Ortega has pushed through a constitutional change, he could rule Nicaragua for life since he abolished term limits. It is generally acknowledged that under Ortega's rule, poverty and violence have dropped in Nicaragua. And why this isn't exactly an anecdote, it is a story from Latin America we think we ought to tell you about, because we did make mention of this some years back. But um, they're now saying that Cuba, after opening its doors to tourists, has observed that the tourists are eating everything. Since Washington and Havana restored diplomatic relations back in 2016, a record 3.5 million foreign tourists have visited Cuba, and the restaurants and hotels they frequent have bought up the harvest of the country. Staples like onions and green peppers are now scarce on grocery shelves and too expensive for most Cubans. 
Cuban economist Juan Alejandro Triana told the New York Times, we don't just have to feed 11 million people anymore. We now have to feed more than 14 million. We reported some years ago in this program that when this correspondent visited Cuba, the only beef to be had was that being sold to the tourists. For the average Cuban, beef is off the menu. And we've amassed a huge backlog of stats, which I think we're going to blow through a few of those just for the heck of it. What do you say? Let's start with the fact that 2016 was the hottest year on record globally, beating the previous record holder, 2015. This may be related to the story that uh, the Arctic is experiencing a heat wave this winter and that the ice found on our northern uh, polar cap is thinner than ever. How about this stat? The average annual salary for a first-year worker at a Silicon Valley technologic firm is more than $105,000, plus a nearly $13,000 stock bonus, and an almost $26,000 cash bonus. If you're keeping score, the national average salary is $48,000, according to the Social Security Administration. Speaking of the workforce, how about this one? While many corporations assume that younger workers have more energy and are therefore more productive, it turns out that more people under the age of 45, in this case 43%, say they are exhausted at work, which is more than those over 45, where it's just 35%. It turns out the least exhausted workers are those over 60. How about this one? Since 9-11, an average of nine Americans per year have been killed by Islamic terrorists on U.S. soil. That compares with 12,843 killed each year in gun homicides and 37,000 a year who die in auto accidents. Here's one that's no surprise. Smoking accounts for almost 6% of global health care spending and its economic impact equals 1.8% of global GDP. In 2012, that amounted to almost $3 trillion, with nearly 40% of it borne by less developed nations. Here's one from November. Apparently, when asked how to describe how they felt about Donald Trump's election as president, 48% of Americans responded with words such as disappointed, worried, and devastated. On the other hand, 40% chose happy, hopeful, and relieved. Evidently, 12% were neutral. And of course, it should be noted that as presidents are in office, their popularity does tend to wind down as, you know, month after month, year after year, they do things that people are disappointed with. It seems that sooner or later, a president will find that his disapproval rating will surpass 50%. It's interesting to look at how long that has taken for previous presidents versus the current one. Because it turns out that Donald Trump has now surpassed that 50% mark after eight days in office. For Ronald Reagan, it took 727 days. For George W. Bush, 1,205 days. And for Barack Obama, 936 days. Donald Trump, eight days. And a poll, and in a poll asking Americans about uh, their level of pride, in the wake of the 2016 presidential race, 62% of Americans say they are less proud of the country. On the other hand, 7% say the race made them more proud. Why don't we at this point do one of our perennial favorites, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and go long on this topic. Hey. Hey. 
All right, start with this. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week a few weeks back for proving your point. After Greg Phillips, a voter fraud activist who claims to have proof that three million people voted illegally in the 2016 election, was found to be registered in three states, Alabama, Texas, and Mississippi. Evidently, Phillips nonchalantly commented, why would I know or care? It was, on the other hand, a bad week, perhaps, for taking on risk with the news that bookies at an Irish betting website, Paddy Power, put the odds of Donald Trump being impeached within the first six months at four to one, meaning a 20% chance, and gave him just seven to four odds, or a 63.6% chance, of completing four years in office. And it was surely an ugly week for foreign ticket sales with the news that Qatar's World Cup organizers announced the drinking will be banned during the 2022 soccer tournament. Said one official in Qatar, there will be no alcohol consumption on the streets, squares, and public places, and that is final. Now, there are some who claim that Qatar's claim on the World Cup uh, may have been, may have been uh, due to bribery since people have noted that temperatures are regularly in the triple digits during the World Cup season. But uh, we can't speak to that. But you know, that was so much fun. Let's do another triplet. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week a few weeks back for fooling around after Canadian scientists found that sex helps women build stronger memories. The researchers said that the reward signals generated by sex can improve neurogenesis, the growth of neurons in the hippocampus where memories are stored. It was, on the other hand, a bad week a few weeks back for we can't decide whether it's South African medicine or South African mortuaries with the news that a South African man evidently awoke after spending 21 hours in a locked morgue refrigerator. Reportedly, his cries for help so frightened workers they called police to protect them from an irate ghost. The man had been sent to the morgue after an asthma attack, which reportedly seemed to leave him without a heartbeat. And finally, it was an ugly week sometime in December for either, let's call it either love potions or ED treatment, with the news that North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un has ordered his country's scientists to develop a cure for male sexual dysfunction using snake extracts, sea urchins, and mushrooms soaked in alcohol. I would have to add in my professional opinion, and I do own and operate a clinic that treats erectile dysfunction, that we are not going to adopt the North Korean methodology anytime soon. All right, something we've always appreciated from the good people at The Week magazine is their Only in America file, and let's, let's draw a couple items out of that. This will be one of our favorites among the Only in America file. That is the politically correct division. Item number one, apparently students at the University of Pennsylvania pulled down the English department's portrait of William Shakespeare and replaced him with African-American author and feminist Andre Lord, demanding a more inclusive literature curriculum. English department head Jed Esty vowed to form a working group to declare and defend its department's mission in the current political climate. Meanwhile, over at the University of Virginia, a group of students is demanding that the faculty be forbidden 
forbidden to quote Thomas Jefferson, despite the fact that Jefferson founded the school. Said the student group, since Jefferson owned slaves, any references to him in official communications, quote, undermines the message of unity, equality, and civility that you are attempting to convey, unquote. Mr. McMillan? All right, let's do a couple more items. How about this one? The Pentagon has evidently suppressed an internal study that uncovered $125 billion worth of bureaucratic waste out of fears that Congress would use the report to slash the defense budget. The Washington Post reported in December that the study, completed in January 2015, also found that the Pentagon was spending nearly a quarter of its $580 billion annual budget on overhead and operations like accounting and human resources. The department had hired more than one million contractors, civilians, and uniformed personnel in back office jobs, almost matching the number of active duty troops, which is at 1.3 million, the lowest since 1940. After the study was completed, the Pentagon imposed secrecy restrictions on it and pulled a summary from the department's website. All right, two final scandals. Recent lab tests have found that samples of store brand aloe vera skin gel sold by Walmart, Target, and CVS, in fact, contained no traces of aloe vera. That's despite the products listing the skin-soothing plant as their number one or number two ingredient. Because the U.S. Food and Drug Administration doesn't approve cosmetics before they're sold, there is no penalty for peddling fake aloe. And according to Bloomberg.com, the luxury bedsheets business is in the middle of a king-size crisis. Major U.S. retailers, including Target and Walmart, cut ties with Wellspun, a top Indian manufacturer of 100% Egyptian cotton sheets and other luxury textiles. That's after the firm was caught mislabeling products that were, quote, woven with lower quality cotton blends, unquote. The scandal came to light after Target investigators conducted a microscopic analysis of sheet fibers and and found that 750,000 of the store's Egyptian cotton sheets which sell for as much as $75, in fact, didn't contain any Egyptian cotton at all. It should be noted that the highest quality Egyptian material prized for its silky feel costs twice as much as standard grade cotton sourced from India, which does provide a powerful incentive to cheat. When the Cotton Egypt Association, (laughs) no, we've never heard of them either, but when they conducted random tests on store-ready products, they found that 90% were fakes. All right, let's talk about what's going on locally up in Oroville, specifically at the Oroville Dam, the highest dam in the United States at 770 feet. On Sunday, February 12th, almost 200,000 people were ordered to evacuate where they lived downstream from the Oroville Dam. Oroville was ordered evacuated, as were the twin cities of Marysville and Yuba City and several other small towns downstream. 200,000 people. The problems began, I guess, about a week ago when they discovered that there was a large gaping hole in the main spillway. And it turned out that in the wake of our record recent rains and runoff, that uh, the main spillway was not going to be able to drain the lake fast enough to where its level would then top the emergency spillway, which, of course, it did. The word we got here at Radio Parallax... uh, late last week, was that this emergency spillway was not to be trusted. And sure enough, as the water poured over the top and it started washing away the hillside and trees, etc., 
Officials realize that it may eat away at the base of the concrete which tops that emergency spillway, meaning that if, if that concrete were to collapse and go downstream, then the water would be basically eroding a hillside. This is a rapidly developing story, which will be in the news, no doubt, for months as more rain is predicted uh, in the weeks to come. So we can't pretend to improve upon your basic news coverage, especially with drones and helicopters giving you updates. But we do want to go to the article by Paul Rogers from the East Bay Times on Monday, February 13th, because, well, it's mighty interesting. Let us read from it. More than a decade ago, federal and state officials and some of California's largest water agencies rejected concerns that the main earthen spillway at Oroville Dam, at risk of collapse Sunday night and prompting a massive evacuation, could erode during heavy winter rains and cause a catastrophe. Three environmental groups, the Friends of the River, the Sierra Club, and the South Yuba Citizens League, filed a motion with the federal government on October 17, 2005, as part of Oroville Dam's relicensing process, urging federal officials to require that the dam's emergency spillway be armored with concrete rather than remain an earthen hillside. The groups filed the motion with FERC, the Federal Energy Regulation Commission, saying the dam, built and owned by the state of California and finished in 1968, did not meet modern safety standards because in the event of extreme rain and flooding, fast rising water would overwhelm the main concrete spillway, then flow down the emergency spillway, and that could cause heavy erosion that would create flooding for communities downstream, but also could cause a failure known as, quote, loss of crest control, unquote. They're referring there to the loss of the concrete cap over the emergency spillway. It should be noted that the Bush administration rejected that request, however, after State Department of Water Resources and the water agencies that would likely have to pay the bill for the upgrades said they were unnecessary. Those agencies included the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, which provides water to 19 million people in L.A. and San Diego, and the state water contractors, an association of 27 agencies that buy water from the state of California through the state water project. Federal officials at the time said that the emergency spillway was designed to handle 350,000 cubic feet per second, and the concerns were overblown. Back at the time, July of 2006, the senior civil engineer with FERC's San Francisco office, John Underdock, said... The emergency spillway meets FERC's engineering guidelines for an emergency spillway, adding the guidelines specify that during a rare flood event, it is acceptable for the emergency spillway to sustain significant damage. Keep that figure in mind. The emergency spillway was designed to handle 350,000 cubic feet per second. But it turns out that last Sunday, with flows of 6 to 12,000 cubic feet per second, and water only a foot or two deep, and less than 5% of that rate that FERC said was safe, erosion at the emergency spillway became so severe that officials from the State Department of Water Resources ordered the evacuation of almost 200,000 people. Paul Rogers notes rather dryly that such an uncontrolled release from California's second largest reservoir, while it was completely full, could become one of the worst dam disasters in U.S. history. Now, Ron Stork, 
policy director with the Friends of the River, which is a Sacramento environmental group that filed those motions back in 2005, commented, we said, are you really sure that running all this water over the emergency spillway won't cause the spillway to fail? He added, they tried to be as evasive as possible. It would have cost money to build a proper concrete spillway. Stork reportedly watched with horror last Sunday night as the emergency spillway was at risk of collapse. Ron Stork said that officials from the Department of Water Resources told him informally that the Metropolitan Water District and the water contractors who buy water from Oroville did not want to incur the extra costs. The article quotes Lester Snow, who was the state Department of Water Resources director from 2004 to 2010, saying Sunday night that he does not recall the specifics of the debate during that relicensing relicensing process 11 years ago. Snow said, the dam and the outlet structures have always done well in tests. I don't recall the FERC process. We should note in closing that a filing on May 26, 2006 by Thomas Berliner, an attorney for the state water contractors, and Douglas Adamson, an attorney for the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, discounted the risks. It urged FERC to reject the request to require that the emergency spillway be armored, a job that would have cost tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars. The attorneys noted the emergency spillway was designed to safely convey the probable maximum flood, and DWR has reviewed and confirmed the efficacy of the PMF hydrologic analysis for Oroville Reservoir. The article closes by noting, ultimately, they were successful. FERC did not require the state to upgrade the emergency spillway. And as a consequence, 200,000 people have now evacuated downstream. Yes, those same water villains we've been talking about in this program for years, the Metropolitan Water District and the water contractors, well, they, they want our water, they, they, just, they just don't want to pay for it. And keep in mind, this might have cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and yet Jerry Brown and company wants to spend billions of dollars for its twin tunnel projects to ship yet more Northern California water south. What's wrong with this picture? You know, I don't feel good about ending on a downer. And we need a mood elevator. We usually go to science articles. So let's close with this. It turns out they are a happy family after all. Yes, the three stars closest to our solar system do indeed all revolve around one another, a finding that resolves a century-old debate. The nearest of the three stars, Proxima Centauri, is a red dwarf 4.24 light-years away. It has long been suspected that Proxima Centauri orbits its two large brethren, Alpha Centauri A and B, which are at 4.37 light-years away. Those two orbit each other every year and blend to the naked eye, if you're down in Australia or New Zealand, as the third brightest star in the night sky. Since Proxima Centauri, like every red dwarf in the heavens, is too dim to be seen without a telescope, it was only discovered in 1915. It was suspected, based on its motion through the sky, that it must be related to Alpha, Centauri, A, and B, but nobody could prove it until now. Kudos to Pierre Caravella at the Paris Observatory in France and his colleagues who measured Proxima Centauri's velocity precisely enough to show that it is genuinely bound to the other two. 
And apparently, when they did the math, it turns out that Proxima Centauri orbits its companions every 550,000 years. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.